Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. We've got another great episode for you. I'm really excited about this interview because I've been trying to get more of my Life and Air Mastermind buddies uh, to get to, uh, to schedule a podcast interview with them, and I finally got one to agree. Yes. <laughs> His name is Steve Cavanaugh, and he's crushing it right now in Southern Maryland. Um, but uh, things are going really good. I'm excited about this market. Alex, how about you? How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Got a lot of uh, good stuff going on. Uh, lots of different deals working. Um, actually headed out to uh, look at a deal today down by the beach where it uh, could be a, a very uh, good uh, a good situation. It just depends on um, how things work out. It's a, It's a weird situation because can actually uh, take this piece of property. You cannot subdivide it, but what you can do is what they call condoing it. So you can actually take the property and put two houses back to back because they face two different streets back to back um, and put two duplexes there and sell four condos essentially. So that's something I've never done before, but uh, definitely a different, you know, different experience. Um, so I'm looking forward to see if uh, this is going to pan out or not. So, yeah, another development project. So we'll see how it goes. Very good. And, and you'll have to leave in a few minutes for that, correct? Yes. So we just got Alex for a few minutes, but I'm glad you could be on here for a little bit at least. Yeah, me too. So, um, cool. I want to jump right into this interview. But first, guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get our fast cash survival kit. It's absolutely free. We talk about in there how we wholesale deals. Alex wholesales deals that with equity, and I wholesale deals without equity. Um, but I also do both. But we really dive into detail about how we uh, wholesale properties, how we do our marketing, what works, what doesn't. We talk a lot about virtual assistance, uh, how important marketing is so you know how much marketing you should be doing, when and where and to who. So a lot of good stuff. It's completely free, and you can only get it at realestateinvestingmastery.com. That's the only place. <laughs> yep, it is. But uh, And also leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we've been getting a steady stream of good reviews, and we appreciate all of the reviews you guys are leaving. Um, don't forget to, uh, to leave us a review on iTunes if you like this show. So let's just dive right in. Steve, how you doing? Great, great, Joe and Alice. Thanks for having me here today. Now, Steve, you've been uh, part of Life in Air, um for those of you that don't know, why don't you, could you explain real quickly what Life in Air is? Well, uh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, Sean McCloskey likes to say, well, life, you know, let's start with what Life in Air isn't. And, and I, I think that's a great way to start it out is, you know, Life in Air is not about developing a business and having that business dictate your life. Life in Air, rather, is about, you know, developing or, or, or coming up with an, an idea of what it is that you want out of life. And then, and then, and only then, creating a business that is going to serve that life purpose or what your life goals are. So right. I think it's probably the easiest way to, to summarize life in there. Well, it's, you're absolutely right. And uh, I've been in it since, well, I think since it started. 
Um, but you've been in the uh, – there's several different levels, and, and, and right now we're both in the – I guess it's called the Flip Vip group. It's a smaller, uh, smaller little mastermind group, and it's been really awesome for me the last, I think, year that I've been in it. But you've been in it for about three years, I think, um, because you get to really hang out with other like-minded investors, people who are passionate about real estate, but also got their priorities straight. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about making money. Um, and I'm right. not saying everybody in the group is perfect. I mean, we all have our own issues and things that we're going through, but we're at least all trying to achieve the same goal of of making sure that what's most important in our life is the most important thing in our life. And we're putting the priority and focus on where it needs to be. And that's different for every person, but business should not be the center of our life. It should not dictate what we do, where we live, and, and how much time we spend with our family. Um, it's quite a revolutionary concept if you think about it. But Yeah. Uh, um, so cool, Steve. Now, you're in southern Maryland. Um, yep. How did you get started in real estate? What were you doing before you got into real estate? Sure, sure. Well, my story goes a little something like this. I graduated from college with a liberal arts degree in uh, communication arts, and I minored in jazz guitar performance. Uh, in other words, I had a whole lot of fun in college and had no idea what I wanted to do when I got out. Uh, <laughs> so it, it just so happens that, uh, that you know, I, I knew some folks who knew some folks, and I was able to uh, get offered a job straight out of college making thirty $36,000 a year, I believe. And at that point in time, that was the most money I'd ever heard of in my life. And I thought, wow. Man, you mean to tell me I don't have to go on any interviews? I don't have to do anything? You know, boom, right out of college, that I can be making this this great salary. Man, I'm I'm going to be rich. You know, right? <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was going to be wonderful. Well, uh, that's what I did. So I, I took the first thing that was offered to me straight out of college. I, looking back on it, I I should not have done that, but that's what I did. You know, because I wanted a paycheck, I wanted to buy a new car, and I I wanted to try to start to kind of make it out on my own. So that's what I did. And uh, I quickly learned that that's the grind and the, uh, the, the nine to five, and, and, and it was longer than that for me. I was working 12-hour days. I went into the IT field and working for a government contractor uh, doing database engineering stuff, and I was also doing some tech support stuff. And, you know, I, I, I learned a lot of lessons uh, working that job. I learned a lot of great things about working with other people, you know, doing some of the customer support work, which I think is, is so underestimated in any industry and, uh, and by many entrepreneurs. Uh, but uh, I, I learned a lot of great things uh, watching some of my supervisors, uh, you know, seeing how folks, you know, up, up the corporate ladder kind of operate and, and, and observing them and how that side of the business works. Uh, but what I just became disenfranchised with was the whole the whole idea of working for somebody else, making somebody else wealthy, and uh, you know the fact that really uh, after a few years of doing that, you, you just you're not getting anywhere. It's essentially dead end. Sure, you can you can get raises here and there and bonuses here and there, but the but the end, the end of the day, it's someone else's priority, not yours. So uh, I I realized that after about four years, and uh, I, I'll admit. I worked behind a computer, so I did have some downtime every now and again, and uh -oh. I would, I would, <laughs> I would, I would spend some time on FlippingHomes.com, yes. and that's, uh, you know, so so I got to know Steve <laughs> Cook through his website, FlippingHomes.com, and uh, 
and he was in Baltimore, and here I am just an hour, hour, hour to change south of Baltimore. And so Cecil started doing this boot camp, and I started going to them. And, uh, you know, every time I went to one of them, I would come home and try to say, man, I wonder if there's any neighborhoods like that around where I live, and I wonder if this really works where I live and that sort of thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, a very long story short, and I'm, we can get into some of it if you'd like to, but uh, I, I've connected with the right people in my market. I did a few deals, um, you know, at, at when things were hot, and I was very fortunate and blessed to make a lot of money on my first handful of deals. Now, what year and was this, Steve? At, yeah, this was back in, let's see, I bought my first property in 2004, and, um, you know, and, and that was a rental property. Uh, it, looking back on it, you know, I, I think it cash flowed probably two or three hundred bucks a month. It really was not a great, uh, a great rental property. And I actually just sold that property last year. <laughs> um, but, uh, I had that, I bought that one then. And my, my real big break came in, uh, late 2005, early 2006 when I sold, um, I sold two lots to a local builder and on a deal that I made over a hundred thousand dollars on, that was a wholesale deal. So, uh, you know, I immediately took that money and I put that back in and, and really made a go for the whole rehabbing thing at that point. And I went out immediately when I got that check, I went out and bought a rehab property. And I turned around, I made $63,000 on that rehab. And I just said, this is for me. You know, this is a sign that this is, this is the business that I need to be involved in. So, um, you know, here we are today and I do this full time. You know, I, I rehab, I rehab houses, I wholesale, I find uh, holds. I uh, do some hard money lending, and plus I run a very successful coaching program here locally in Southern Maryland, uh, as well as I, I do consult with individuals across the nation uh, on a fee basis as far as Skype or phone calls or something like that about getting their business up and running. So um, that, in a nutshell, is me and how I got to where I am today. Now, when did you leave your job and start doing real mm-hmm. estate full-time? Yeah, I actually left my job. This is, this is a great story. I left my job the day that I bought my first property, and I set it up that way. Again, it was a rental property, so you know, I, I did, in fact, go on the hook for some financing to buy that. And this was back in the day when you, know, you could get an 80-20 loan, so 100% financing. I really didn't have to come out of pocket for maybe but 1000 or two for some closing costs, and I was all into this property. But I needed my job in order to be able to qualify for, uh, for that financing. So what I did is, is, you know, I was getting very, I was getting very anxious to leave my job and everyone around me, including my immediate supervisor could tell. And, you know, I started to kind of get in arguments with them and things like that. And you, you could just tell there it was a tumultuous type of situation. So, uh, I could feel it all kind of coming to a head. And, and what I did is I just kind of took an inventory of what was going on in my life at the time and said I was unhappy with where I was. I wanted to get in this real estate investing thing. And at the time I was, getting married to my wife that summer who had a full-time job with the school system and I was going to be able to hop on her health insurance and all that stuff. So what I did is I kind of orchestrated this big effort to buy my first property and uh, then quit my job the same day. So that's exactly what I did. I typed up my two-week notice to my supervisor and I took it with me through the closing. I, this was on a Friday that I had off. Um, I worked with Press work schedules is where uh, you work longer every other day of the week than you have every other Friday off. So it was on one of my compressed Fridays. I typed up my two weeks, took it to closing. I left the closing table and I drove an hour south. My commute was an hour hour south every day. I drove hour south down to my supervisor and I hand delivered in my signed two weeks notice. 
And I just sold my first property. I don't need a job anymore. I'm out of here. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I did. So um, so so that's when I that's that's how that all kind of came together for me. Now, would you would you still recommend that to people? You know, Joe, I, that's a great question. Um, here here's my advice to people because I get a lot of people who come to me and say, "I want to do what you did. I want to leave my job. I hate my job, and all that stuff." And here's what I tell them is is number one, you're not going to leave your job until you hate your job. And by that, I mean with every fiber of your being, 100%. You must hate your job. You must be getting in arguments with your supervisor. You must be on the verge of getting fired uh, in order to leave your job. Otherwise, you seek that 1% of security that remains, and uh, and, you, and you feed off that. And, and, and you can't have that. You just can't have that now. Do people plan to leave their jobs, you know, in a kind of structured way and things like that, you know, and, and phase in their real estate business and, and, and phase out their jobs? Yes, uh, you know, I'm sure that happens. Uh, however, that was not the case for me and for my other coaching students and other folks out there. I, I just don't see that happening with them. So, um, you know, do I advocate burning bridges? No, I don't. But, you know, at some point you, you kind of, you, you've got to step out on faith. You know, you've got to say this is for me and, and you've got to try and make it happen. And for me, that's what I did. And, and you know, I planned it out, you know, that I was going to go, you know, my wife and I could live together under her salary in case this whole thing fell apart. I could always go back and get a job doing something else, you know. Uh, so, uh, but no, I, 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 I don't know if I advocated or not. You know, if if that will work for everybody, but that's what worked for me, and and that's uh, if I had to do it over again, I would do it all over again. Well, you have a you have a really cool story. I I could kind of relate <laughs> more than I'd like to admit publicly. Uh, when I was working for my employer, uh, when I did have downtime, I wasn't putting in the effort that I could have. You know, and I always felt really guilty about that, um, and it was like a really heavy burden that I'd always carry around with me because, um, you know, I, I, I was not giving 110% to my employer. I was getting my job done. I was getting good performance reviews. But I guarantee you, if they would have known what I was not doing or what I was doing when I was, after I got my work done, <laughs> I would have been, I would have been fired. Uh, right. And I still feel bad about that today. When I left my job, it was funny. Just personally, um, they they told me, "Hey, man, if you want to come back, if this doesn't work out for you, this was four years ago. If you want to come back, it doesn't work out. We'd love to have you back." And I just laughed because I thought, "Well, no, no. If you really knew, <laughs> if you really knew, you would not want me back." And, right. and you know, I, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm still embarrassed to admit that because if you are working, let me just give some good advice to everybody out there. Give your employer everything you've got while you're working, you know. Um, give them 110%. But what was frustrating, Steve, is that no matter how hard I worked, I got paid the same every two weeks, you know. And yep. uh, if I was lucky, I got a 3% raise at the end of the year. And what I was doing, if you wanted to, really, if you wanted to raise, you have to jump to a new company and go work somewhere else. Right. <clears throat> but then, you know, you're moving a lot. and Well, anyway... Enough about me. Um, I'm glad you left your job, Steve, and I'm glad that you're that you're doing what you're doing. I always recommend to people you need to have two goals before you leave your job: either have enough money in the bank to you know tide you over for six months at least, maybe twelve months if you can, right? Um, yeah. Or what I would did is just 
if you're wholesaling, just make sure you're consistently wholesaling um, for at least three to four months enough income to replace your current income. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. um, so that's 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 what happened to me. But Steve, now you've you've wholesaled some houses and you've done a lot of different things. But your favorite investing strategy, I'm going to guess from uh, what I know about you, is rehabbing. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. I, I love to rehab homes. I love to get them just nasty and, and turn them into things of beauty. And there's just a lot of satisfaction that goes along with that. I, I love kind of the unexpected nature of it, which you know can be stressful at times, but ultimately it is a lot of fun. And, uh, and yeah, I just enjoy rehabbing homes. I will, no matter what I do in my lifetime, I will always have a rehab or two going because I just I enjoy it. Well, how many? Rehab, and you obviously make more money per rehab than you do on a wholesale deal. Um, How many rehabs do you have going on typically at one time? Usually, I have one or two of my own going on. Plus, I also have thirteen coaching students right now. Total, we have ten projects going. Uh, You know, so so at any point in time, uh, deals that I am personally involved with, that I'm a principal in, uh, you know, it's it's probably in the eight to fifteen range at any one time. Well, that's interesting. That's a lot. Do yeah. you, um, how, how do you handle that? How do you manage all of that? Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, I, I don't know how to say this right, but, you know, I, I really try to focus on picking the right people for my coaching program. And when I pick the folks who are very type A, uh, are able to uh, project manage effectively and uh, watch their budgets effectively, then you know, the management as far as them and, and what they're doing really is only on the first deal. And then beyond that, they can kind of take it from there. We do three three deals together in my, in my coaching program. And, uh, you know, you, I have a lot of students who own their third deal. I only see their, their project at the beginning, sometime in the middle, and then at the end when it's done. And uh, so, so as far as management on the students' deals, it's, it's minimal. Uh, you know, and then as far as my deals, I tell you, Joe, what I've done is over the years now is I've just built up a solid team. It's just like any other business. You know, if you surround yourself with people who are professionals and do a good job and know what you want, then the uh, management on them is, is very minimal. So, uh, you know, at some point, a rehabber really just writes a check. You know, you, you acquire the right properties, you write the check, you develop the, the marketing plan, and in my business, I use realtors, but I kind of tell the realtors exactly how I want to position the thing and what we're looking for and how, how we want to market it. But other than that, it's you're, you're just writing checks. Well, that's good. Yeah. Talk about, um, obviously, a big part of your team is the contractors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do yeah. you find and keep good contractors, Steve? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think it all comes down to networking, first and foremost. Uh, you know, for my students, if you ask them that question, they would say, you know, I get plugged in with my coaching program, my coaching group, and then ask who they're using. If you're just somebody who came up to me and asked me that question, I would say you need to go to your local RIA group. You need to talk to the people there and befriend them. Don't ask them a bunch of questions before you kind of, you know, talk to talk with them and got to know them a little bit. But when you get to know the right people, you're going to find out who they're using. And then, you know, you always want to ask their permission or if, if it's okay if, it, if they could share the contractor information with you. Don't go showing up at their rehab and try and post their contractors because you're going to get an angry phone call from an investor. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you can find out 
a lot about who to work with just kind of following successful people in your local marketplace. So that's what I'd recommend. <clears throat> that's how I found all of my good handyman and contractors as, as well. Um, you know, the other thing, well, f- that really is all you, you need to do is just network with your local mm-hmm. RIA group, m- become friends with other rehabbers, you know, and um, if they like beer, take them out for a beer. If they like coffee, meet them for coffee in the morning. Um, sure. But find out who they're using. And the uh, you, you, if you plug in, a lot of times local RIA groups have these, um, what do you call them, like an online discussion board or, you know, an email mm-hmm. thread. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of times you can find people there if you just send out an email to the group, hey, I'm looking for a good plumber, you're going to get at least three to four recommendations. The other thing mm-hmm. I like to do is I subscribe to Angie's List. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever looked at that, but Angie's List, uh, 50 bucks a year maybe. Um, mm-hmm. You can see local contractors in your area by specialty and see how other people have reviewed them. And these contractors, they typically are more geared towards residential uh, customers, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of times if you tell them, hey, well, first of all, they get a lot of their business from Angie's List. And if you tell them, I saw you on Angie's List, you're going to get a little better customer service from them because they want to take better care of you so that you give mm. them a good review in Angie's List. Sure. But if you're in a market sure. and having a hard time finding a contractor, that's one place I'd suggest to start. But, um, Steve, talk a little bit about systems because I'm sure you, if you're going to be rehabbing a lot of homes, you've got to have systems where... You know, the same thing is done the same way every time. Am I right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and to me, it, it really goes back to my contractors. Uh, my here's, here's my particular business model. I know everybody kind of does it differently. I do not prefer to GC the project myself because then you've created a lot more work for yourself. I'm willing to pay a GC to do about 80% of the job. And then the 20%, I'll call like my own HVAC guy. I'll, I'll plug in my own flooring guy and things like that. But here's the thing. Those guys now have done so many jobs for me that they have worked with my main guy that a lot of times my main guy who does the 80% of the GC, he'll go ahead and coordinate with those guys. And it pretty much keeps me out of the loop. They just invoice me and I write the check. So it's great. Now, my main guy has got to know the paint colors I like, so he coordinated with the painter. He knows uh, he knows my kitchen supplier, so he can coordinate uh, shipment and delivery of the kitchen for me. Um, you know, like I said, he knows the HVAC guys, he knows the flooring guys, so he can coordinate all that stuff with me. My flooring guys know what flooring I want. My, I've got a lighting designer. She knows what lighting I want. So it, it's just a matter of setting up that team, doing the first, you know, three or four deals with them, and then saying, you know, from here on out, that's what I want to use. Now, here's what's even better is my coaching students now, they, they're using the same folks, and they'll just, They'll call them and say, well, what paint colors do you want to use? And say, I don't know, whatever Steve's using. So then, boom, then they're done. They're just done. They plug into a system that, that here it is. Like you said, you use the right word, system, you know, that, that are already set up and running. Uh, so it, it, it takes all the guesswork out of it. It's pretty simple. Right. And so you're, you're paying them more than you mm-hmm. would. You're paying, you're maybe losing a little bit of money from your profit by just hiring a general contractor like that. But I think that um, would you say that is true, or would you yeah, say with the time yeah, that you're saving? I, I, my guy, my guy is very, very good to me. He gives me very competitive pricing. Um, I would say that I, I would say that I'm probably breaking even because if you put a value on your time, like every successful person should do, 
then you'll realize that when you're making phone calls to different people and trying to arrange things, and, you know, when you're the GC and you're trying to line everybody up and get the schedule rolled out and project manage all that stuff, uh, you're using you're losing valuable time. And, and, and here's the big point is that every investor, the, the highest investor use of their time is, is prospect for deals. You know, you've, you've got to be always looking for deals. That's the best use of your time. You know, you've got to look for opportunity. And if you're managing just one little house somewhere or, or 10 little houses somewhere, I mean, then you're not actively looking for deals. You're not marketing. You know, you're not doing, you're not, you're not generating sales, you know, for yourself. You're, you're not filling the offer with more deals. And that's what you need to be doing. So, uh, to me, it's really a loss. But like I say, my guy gives me excellent pricing. I could probably go out and find all these subs to do everything that he does for me. Uh, and, uh, it would probably end up being about the same price. Um, you know, he's, he works with me on, on the volume. He realizes that he's going to get all my stuff and all my student stuff. And, uh, we just work together for many years now and it's worked out for both of us. So, uh, you know, he's not out to get me. Uh, you know, does he, does he sub out a roof every now and again and make something on the roof? Sure he does. You know, he, he puts a little bit of money on his pocket just for making that phone call. Do I care? No. I'm still making $50,000 on the deal. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Steve, would you mind sharing? Because uh, I want to talk about how you find those deals. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's it is mm-hmm. so key. You have to look at what's your best return on your time. Uh, mm-hmm. um, talk a little bit about numbers. What are what do you consider a good deal, or what's a deal that you would pass up on? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, you know, I I use the seventy percent formula, and so uh, you know, after repair value times point seven minus your repairs. Uh, equals what you should pay for the property. You know, when it's hot, we pay a little bit from that. When uh, when there's little to no competition, for example, if the private seller was to call me from some marketing or something like that, then uh, then you know that I would go ahead and either run it on the seventy percent formula or talk to them about what they want to get for the property and see if we can make a match. And if you crunch the numbers, maybe it comes in under the seventy percent formula. Um, so you know, to me, I've always done stuff around the 70% formula and when I've, when I've been fortunate enough to pick something under that, I, you know, then I, then I will. Um, but, uh, um, you know, every now and again, when things are hot, I do push it. Uh, to me, you know, we're selling houses here uh, in the 225 range is kind of where the, the first time home buyer is. Recently, things have kind of ramped up a little bit. We're up into the 250s right now. Um, so, but, but anywhere in that 225 to 250 range. So our margin typically is anywhere from thirty to $60,000. The profit that we're making on those uh, projects, it just kind of depends on how much of a premium we pay to get the deal and how much repairs are we doing. Uh, in our marketplace here, we're looking at homes that are built typically 1968 to 1975 range. So we're not having to do full-blown gut rehabs on these homes. We're really just doing a heavy cosmetic where we're, you know, most of the time they're single-family home, four-bed, two-bath, uh, somewhere in the, you know, 2,500, 2,700-square-foot range. And it's just carpet, kitchen, bathroom, paint, um, you know, just, just a heavy cosmetic, new railing, new new fixtures, you know. Uh, we'll update some plumbing sometimes. We'll update some electrical sometimes. Maybe we'll build a deck. We'll do some nice landscaping, uh, things like that. So... Typical repair budget for us is going to be anywhere from, say, $25,000 on up to, you know, 60, 
$75,000. It just all depends on what we can save in the house, what we have to replace. Well, I love the way you're very, very specific on what kind of home you're going after, and you you knew very well your numbers. I'm not going to ask you to give us the zip codes, but I bet you anything you could probably give me 10, 15 zip codes that you like to go after, maybe even fewer than that. But well, it's much it's much fewer than that, really. I mean, there's there's probably uh, it, that I personally like to do. Now, my students can go to the, much farther out as far as radius is concerned. I have a rule, and this is a life and air thing, that I don't personally get involved in any deal that's more than a half hour from my front door because I don't want to have to be out that property and be far away from home and and you know at the end of the day have a commute. Then I would then I should just go out and get a real job if I wanted to have a commute and all that stuff. So one of my goals is to kind of you know, make more work less, and that's been that way from the beginning. So I need to keep doing it that way. Um, so that being said, uh, you know, and my advice to people is really you've got to look for acres diamonds in, in your backyard because they're there. Uh, no matter where you live across the country, you should always only focus on, uh, you know, a few neighborhoods to start out with and a few zip codes to start out with, not a whole bunch. So for me, it, it's very small. Uh, there's probably five or six zip codes throughout um, my county that I'm interested in. Great. But you would agree, I think, that how how important it is to know your target, right? To know Absolutely. what you're shooting for. And specifically, you mean you went down, you know you're at the, you need to be at the 70% number. You're looking at the two hundred twenty-five dollars to $250,000 price range home. That's a good first-time home buyer's median price in your market. You know you want to make at least thirty to 60000 in profit. You're looking for... A home within a certain time frame that was built in 1958 to 75. You're looking mm-hmm. for homes around 2,500 square feet and five to six to five to six different zip codes, 30 minute drive from your house, and a repair mm-hmm. budget typically of 25 to 55 thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. that that is fantastic. And if anything, I want people to take away from listening to this call is you need to have those kinds of goals written down. Or what you know? What market do you want to go after, so that you can spend your time on on what is most efficient and and going after deals in those areas? And I imagine that's one of the first things you work with your students on, right, Steve? Absolutely, absolutely. The, one of the one of the very first things that we do after we get them educated on the terminology and the knowledge and and everything that uh, that you need to know the lingo and how the game's played is okay. What neighborhoods are you going to be looking in? You know and you need to become intimately familiar with those houses that are in those neighborhoods. And you need to know what repairs are common to those homes and what it's typically going to cost and what contractors are we going to plug in and, you know, what contractors are, are, are local to this area and that sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have to know what it is you want. You know, you, you know you want something, but you really have to know exactly what it is. And, I, you know, we could boil this whole conversation down, Joe, and just, it, you know, really goes to focus. You really need to focus. Success comes from focusing. It does not come from doing a million things at one time. It comes from focusing on one thing and getting to do that one thing very, very, very good. And then, then and only then can you branch out and take on more things. But you've got to have that one thing that's really, really strong and really good. That's good. I'm writing notes. Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. Steve, talk about... um, why don't you talk about how you find the deals? What are some of your favorite ways to find deals? Okay. Um, gosh, uh, I, I've acquired properties all different types of ways throughout my career. I've done auctions at the courthouse. I've done 
the uh, auction.com auctions. I've done auctions at the houses. I've done, uh, you know, of course, we bought properties off the MLS. Um, you know, I've bought probate properties. Um, I, you know, I've gotten calls off signs on my car. I mean, you know, just all, all different types of ways. But I'll give away my big my big secrets here as far as marketing. Um, I'm in my, probably my number one, and this may surprise you, Joe. I know you do a lot of stuff on the Internet and whatnot, but, but my number one poll has always been for years has been the local penny saver. Wow. Yeah, in, in print. And I've watched the penny saver just shrink down to nothing, but it still gets delivered to all the houses in my, my area. And every week I get a couple of calls from it, you know, a couple to a few calls from that particular advertising source. And, um, you know, I, you have to keep in mind, too, I'm kind of in more of a suburban location. If I was in more of an urban location, I'm sure that number would exponentially increase. But uh, that's that's pretty good for one, from one advertising source. I'm also, believe it or not, in the phone book. Here we have two phone books here locally. I'm in both of those. Um, you know, I have a website. I get leads from that. Uh, I am a member of several. Uh, uh, I'm affiliated with several um, lead generation sources. You know, on the internet, I, I get those. Uh, you know, I do direct mail. However, I don't do direct mail in the way everybody else does direct mail. Go back to our conversation from earlier. I know exactly the neighborhoods I want to be in, and when I have projects going on in those neighborhoods, I'm always driving those neighborhoods looking for houses that look like they need to be rehabbed. Do I spend time driving every single street? No, I don't, but could you? Sure, you could, and you probably should if, if you're just getting started to become intimately familiar with those with that housing stock in the neighborhood. But I always write down addresses, Joe, of, of properties that look nasty and then I come home and I do the research on them. I determine who owns who owns it. Um, you know, what if there's equity, that sort of thing. And then of course I start I start uh, targeting them from mailing, from direct mail. And then I'll just send them out once every couple of weeks a piece of mail saying, Hey, what's going on? Hey, I mailed you a couple of weeks ago, I haven't heard from you, that sort of thing. And if I want to get super aggressive, I don't know Joe if you've ever done this or not, but I will actually mail them a bandit sign. Really? So I'll I'll write the address I'll write the the mailing address on the back of the bandit sign and I'll send them a big old, you know, eighteen twenty inch bandit sign, yellow and black bandit sign in the mail and, <laughs> and I'll write a little note on there and I'll send with a with a big Sharpie marker and I'll say, Hey, I've been trying to get in touch with you about this house and I haven't heard anything from you. <laughs> so, I I love it. How much does that yeah. cost to mail? Uh it's just a couple bucks. It's not, it's not a lot of money. <laughs> So you, if, you know, you're talking about you, the big, like, you know, 12 by we 12. We buy houses, or... yeah, a, a big, big band of time. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So you're doing very targeted. I mean, if you only have five, six zip codes, um, you, you need to be a little more, you may not be able to pull a list big enough with those zip codes to, to just mail to absentee owners with equity, right? So, um Right. I mean, you could do that. Uh, certainly, you could do that. I've, I personally have never done that. I've had students who have done that. Uh, my lists are embarrassingly small. Uh, you know, when I when I do my targeted mailing to the houses that I'm looking for, uh, you know, typically I probably send out eight to ten pieces of mail, and I just follow up with those leads like crazy. A lot of times, I'll I'll even Google the owner's name. I'll try to find a phone number. Sometimes I'll call them. Um, but I, I really, I really like to prefer to have them call me. 
you know. Oh yeah. When when you, when you call somebody, you kind of catch them off guard. And, oh 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 no, I'm not ready to sell that house, you know. But when they call you, they've had to kind of digest, you know, what what's going on and 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 assess their situation realistically, you know. So they're ready when they call you to have that conversation. So um. Anyway. Do you? <clears throat> that's that's my targeted direct mail thing. <laughs> Well, you know, it's amazing, Steve. I, we've interviewed a lot of people, and the most successful people that we've interviewed always have the simplest marketing. Marketing. Mm. It's not complicated. It's just I think the key to it is consistency, and you're consistently doing it every day, every week, every month. There's, there's no magic formula, magic pill um, to doing it. It's... It's it's putting ads in your local penny saver, you know. That's yeah. that's brilliant. Your your area is so. It in there. You know your area is so small, Steve. You might consider doing uh, post-it notes, and uh, paying a uh, paying a company to get these post-it notes printed and just stick them on every door. Sure. And um, you'd have to look at how many homes, but in St. Louis, I've done that several times, and I consistently get deals from it. I was doing okay. it more. I was doing it more in oh six oh seven. Um, that's a long time ago. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, now, it, what do they say on them? Is it just the we buy houses and then your phone number? Or yeah, it's, it? it's just whatever's on my postcard. Um, okay. You know, I'll buy your house as is for a fair price and close on the date of your choice. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it has a testimonial on there uh, with my phone number and a website. Um, but you could you can get them printed. I use the ones from uh, that Richard Roop. He's a guru, still around, still teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, he mm-hmm. created this post-it note that you could buy. If you just Google Richard Roop, R-O-O-P, post-it mm-hmm. note, you'll see, okay. a, you'll see a link in Google from this website called The Discount Printer. And uh, they're the only ones that I think have the rights to sell his post-it note. And uh, you can get it printed from them. And uh, it's only like $0.08. Cents it works out to be, I think, don't quote me on that. It's been a little mm-hmm. while, but it works out to be about $0.08. Cents. No, no, I take that back. $0.05, cents, and I found a local guy here that would deliver them for $0.08. Cents. So it cost me a total of $0.13 cents to blanket a neighborhood, and I'd usually have him do about 5000 at a time. That's and um, you could, you'd be surprised how small of an area 5,000 homes are, by the way. Um, yeah. You think that sounds like a lot of homes, but it's, it's not. But that that works really well if you want to just blanket an area, and you got to have some systems in place. In fact, I'd recommend maybe having on there, on that post-it note, something like a 24-hour recorded message. Like put on there, you know, listen to our 24-hour recorded message. Call this phone number, um, because you're going to get a lot of calls just from curiosity seekers. But um, it's a great way to uh, to find deals if you have a small zip code. Because Steve, what you're doing is it sounds to me like you're you're just a big fish in a small pond. Is that right? Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Well, and you and you're gobbling up all the good deals. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't don't get me wrong. I've got some pretty stiff competition. You know, uh, there, there's a couple other guys out there who who you know do what I do. Um, but uh, but yeah, for the most part, um, you know, there's only there's only a handful of really serious players out there in my local marketplace. And, you know, you, that's not to say that there is an opportunity for anyone else. 
there's plenty of onesie twosie, you know, folks out there who just do one rehab a year or just buy one rental property a year, maybe two, maybe three. Um, you know, one time I sat around and I counted up. I counted up that I personally knew 16 investors here in my local marketplace that uh, routinely, and by routinely I mean maybe only once or twice a year, but, but invest in real estate and residential real estate here locally. Now, I'm sure that there's probably double that amount. I'm just not, not personally aware of who they are. Hmm. So. Um, do you still <laughs> bid on auction properties and REOs on the MLS, things like that? Well, uh, yeah, we, we definitely do REOs on the MLS. The problem is, and this is happening nationwide, I understand right now, is that, you know, it's getting crowded out. And, you know, they're, they're kind of going for astronomical prices right now. Highest and best, you know, per se on the market on everything. Uh, but, we, you know, we still are, are in that game. Um, you know, um, as far as auctions, there hasn't been an auction.com or Hudson & Marshall or uh, Williams & Williams is another one. It, there hasn't been any local property um, through those auctions here recently. Uh, what is becoming more of the auction game these days that has been at been out for a long time is, is the trustee sale of courthouse. So when the bank actually forecloses on, on their lien, on their mortgage, uh, you know, you show up to the courthouse and, and have an opportunity to, you know, fall the bid open low enough to buy the house there. Um, and I have done that. And I, I've been to a couple here recently. In fact, I'm going to one next week where there's an opportunity to pick up the house on the cheap at the step. Now, I'm not the only one who's realizing this, you know. Uh, there are other folks showing up now, but uh, I will tell you that for the longest time, the, the homes just didn't have equity. You know, a lot of times these homes are all underwater and they're, they're going through the courthouse steps and there's nobody there. It's just the trustee, you know, they're the auctioneer talking to themselves. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's coming back, so I think everybody should kind of take a look at that, uh, especially if prices can kind of go up where a little bit. Uh, you know, folks still are unemployed largely, uh, you know, and, and the economy, I, I don't think, is that fundamentally sound out there. So, uh, you know, those those market forces at play, I think, dictate that there's going to be uh, a continuing and probably increasing opportunity at the courthouse steps to go pick these things up. Okay. Um Steve, I can. I was been trying to think of what some people might be wanting to ask you, and I, I wish we had a live audience, but I'm not that sophisticated. I don't. Um, what? Uh, one question I thought of was estimating repairs. Uh, how do you train beginning investors to estimate repairs when they're looking at a property? That's a great, great question. Um, and unfortunately, there's no easy magic bullet type of answer for that. Uh, here's how I learned it. And then I'll tell you, if, if you remind me, how, how I teach my students now. But here's how I learned it is uh, I, I went and I got educated. I went to Steve Cook's boot camps. He talks about pricing repairs at his boot camp. And he kind of breaks it down by, you know, what he's paying in Baltimore, Maryland back in 2002 or whenever it was, you know, at the, at the time. And I took his course and I sat down and I put it all kind of in a spreadsheet format or wrote it all out or whatever. And I started going out and I started looking at houses. And I would go through the houses and write down every single thing that I felt like needed to be done in the house. And then I would come home and I would I would look at his 
his spreadsheet and I would just apply all his prices to it. And then when I finally bought my first property, uh, you know, I, I pulled in some contractors to price the thing out and I compared their quote with what I had from Steve's material. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I was, I was basing on hiring my first contractor based off how close I could get to his numbers. So that's what I did. And then I, what I did from there is I took those numbers and then the next rehab project, I did essentially the same process. And then I saw if I could get, you know, price it down on all of those from there. And I did. So then I took the spreadsheet from that project and I went to my next project and then tried to get those numbers down. And, you know, eventually you kind of hit a bottom to where, you know, you're, you're paying about the lowest prices you can pay. And every now and again, you can find a supplier that can give you materials for the cheapest even there. And you can nip at those numbers, but you've kind of got a good pricing structure there and something that you can be able to roll forward with. And so that's, that's how I did it is I kind of just use what, what knowledge was available to me and then, uh, then kind of work through my first few projects and, and, and getting those prices down to where I felt they needed to be. And, um, and, and then I, now I can look at it and I can say, you know, what's a townhouse? You know, that's, uh, that's a three bedroom townhouse. That's, uh, you know, two, two bathrooms. What's that going to cost me? Well, it's probably going to be, you know, $35,000 range. If I want to make it real nice, maybe it's 40, 45. You know, what's a four bed, two bath, uh, single family house going to cost me now? Well, maybe it's 45 or up to 65, depending on if it needs new windows, depending on if it needs new roof, depending on if it needs new siding, you know, all that sort of thing. And now I just go in now and it's, and it's very, very, very large numbers. You know, I'm typically rounding off to the nearest 2500 or 5000 so it's either forty, forty-five, or $50,000, you know. So, you know, that's how I do it. Then now if I am if I know there's competition out there, other people are making bids on the house, then I'll fine-tune those numbers a little bit, you know. Um, but uh, but that's how I'm doing it now. Good. And what do yeah. you, how do you, what do you teach your students? Or is it, you teach your students the same thing? Yeah, I, I essentially tell my students, <laughs> I, I teach my students based on my education. So now what I do is my students come to me and say, okay, Steve, one of the hardest parts of this thing is figuring out how much the repairs are going to cost. So I say, well, look, I've done that house a million times, and this is what it's going to cost, you know. This is about the range. And then every now and again, I'll go out with my students. You know, when they first come on board, I give them a fast start where we spend a couple days together, and we go through the neighborhoods, and we become intimately familiar with the inventory like we've already talked about today. And... And then we say, okay, well, that house is going to cost, this is going to be your range for repairs. Write that down. Now, if you need new windows, roof, and siding, like we talked about, then it's going to be on the upper end. If you don't, then it's going to be on the lower end. Got it? Okay, good. You know, and then we, we go through all the different types of houses and all the different types of pricing. Um, let me just throw one, one note of caution out there, and this is what I teach in my boot camp, is that you might be tempted to befriend a contractor and take them around with you all day long and all week long and all these hundreds of properties that you're looking at before you bought something and hired them. I'm here to tell you that's the wrong thing to do to that poor contractor. Now, they might be really nice doing your favor or whatever, but please, if you're going to do that, offer, offer to pay them for their time uh, because they might end up spending a bunch of time with you and then you never hire them uh, to do anything. So, uh, so just keep that in mind. Well, that's really good. I, I hate it when my students try and pull my guys off the job because it, it slows us down, you know. It slows us down. You know, I was thinking of uh, three different resources I wanted to share with people while you were talking, Steve, because mm-hmm. education is important. And uh, let me know if you have any other resources you want to throw out there. 
of, of people that, you know, maybe want to learn some more about rehabbing in particular. Um, first is uh, Steve Cook has a uh, new course that he just came out with. And uh, I thought I had it open here, but I lost it. Let me open it again. If you go to lifeinair.com, it's L-I-F-E-O-N-A-I-R-E, lifeinair.com. Life on, I spelt it wrong. And he has a new course called, um, well, I, I'm trying to open it up right now, and I don't know why I can't do it. It's called, okay, yeah, go to lifeinair.com, scroll down, and you'll see it on the right-hand side. It's called Flipping Like a Pro. Okay, thanks. It took me forever to get that. Called <laughs> Flipping Like a Pro. And I think what he's done is he's taken uh, some of his old stuff and re, re, uh, refreshed it and added a bunch of new stuff. And uh, Steve was a guy who got me, one of the main guys who got me started in wholesaling. But this is a course um, about rehabbing, and it's fantastic. And it's only $97. If you go to his website, lifeinair.com, and you'll find this book. It's an ebook, I believe, and it's only $97. And um, that price could go up. So check that out. And the other resources I wanted to tell you about is uh, Bigger Pockets. It's a, a good forum. It's a good place to go to um, to get investing advice and to ask questions. And uh, they just released a new book about flipping houses. And they have another book that's included called The Book on Estimating Rehab Costs. Oh, and, wow. Um, I bought this book. It's only $49. And uh, I got both books called The Book on Flipping Houses. And it's written by a guy named Jay Scott. He has a website, 123flip.com. He rehabs mm-hmm. a lot of properties and he blogs about it. And he just shares his numbers. And uh, the first book is called The Book on Flipping Houses. And it's like 350-something pages. A lot of detail. And the other book is called The, es- the Book on Estimating Rehab Costs. And you can get both of them for $49, and they also include the spreadsheets that he uses for calculating this stuff. And I've not gone through it yet, so I can't vouch for it. Um, I've just seen his website. He does really well. He renovates about 15 to 20 houses a year, and um, they do really well. And so check out these books. Jay Scott is really big on systems and and is very, very detail-oriented. The final thing I wanted to say, I have a friend, his name is John Cochran, and he has a a website where he puts out stuff, and uh, he's got some courses to sell, but he's a really smart guy, and I know him personally. He does a lot of business. He does a lot of deals. And if you go to his website, he has a blog post on his website called um, Knowing the Repair Estimate on a House. And on this uh, blog post, he has a really simple worksheet that he uses that he takes through to each job when he's looking at it. It's just a one-page worksheet to give you a good, solid, rough estimate for what the repairs would be on a house when you're making an offer on it. And uh, if you go to thekingofsystems.com, thekingofsystems.com, and you click on blog, and you scroll down to his blog post from January 19th, you will see a link there called Knowing the Repair Estimate of a House. And he has a video of him walking through a house and a download where you can actually download this spreadsheet. Just a couple resources I wanted to tell you about. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it, Steve, how cheap it is to get good, solid education these days? 
yeah, absolutely. I mean, how much did you remember? How much you spent on uh, Steve's boot camp when he first did it back in oh two? Oh, oh, sure, it was thousands of dollars. I mean, I, I probably paid uh, I don't know, probably fifteen, seventeen hundred bucks, maybe twenty three hundred bucks. I, I can't remember. But here's the thing: is I went back again and again too. Oh yeah, and uh, and you know when I bought his uh, rehabbing course, you know I think he was selling it for almost three hundred bucks, maybe two ninety seven or something. So uh, yeah, I mean that's all that's all really really good solid stuff there for for a very low price. Very good. Do you have any other resources you'd recommend, Steve? Uh, for rehabbing, yeah, for, for cost, um, not. Not, not really. I just think you, I think folks need to get plugged in with what's going on locally. You know, again, prices are going to vary from location to location across the country. Um, materials are different, uh, labor is different. You know, it's just it just all depends. So, um, you, you need to get plugged in locally and, and talk to some contractors locally and uh, talk to some uh, experienced investors. And if there's a coaching group in your local area, uh, you know, by all means, it's going to shorten the learning curve with everything. So. You know, it reminds me, um, one of the guys in our group, um, Craig, said that, uh, do you remember the three M's that he talked about? To He was giving yeah. a talk. What were those three M's? It was momentum, marketing. Yeah, momentum. Go ahead. And, um, and, and mentorship. Marketing, momentum, yeah. and mentorship are the three keys yeah. to success. I love that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, obviously, and, we and, t- uh, I, I, think, I think momentum is one as well. Uh, uh, you know, have, having the momentum, I think, is kind of his final thing, you know, and, and once you get going with something good, you know, you have to kind of keep that rolling along. I and mean, some people will do a deal and they'll say, man, everything was great with that. Um, and then they'll either take a break or go on vacation or whatever. You know, you really got to kind of roll that success right into your next effort. And so, you know, once you have some, have a little bit of momentum, keep it going. You might say, well, you know, I, I was going to say that might be the most important, but they're all equally important. I mean, marketing mm-hmm. is obviously important. You have to do that. Yeah. You you got to have you got to have a mentor, whether it's a forty nine dollar book, um, or it's a real life mentor. We would strongly suggest a real life mentor, right, <laughs> who can mm-hmm. help you with your particular deal. And then mm-hmm. momentum; those are all just so critically important. And I like the way Craig put that together. Yeah. Well, cool, Steve. You've you've been really gracious. Anything that you? Oh, I want one more question. I wanted to ask you, Steve. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to beginners when it comes to rehabbing and uh, to specifically to avoid the big mistakes? What are some of the common mistakes beginning investors make when they're rehabbing, and how do they avoid them? That's that's a great question, Doc. Do we have another few hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, just give me your top your top mistakes. Uh, probably the top mistake I see new rehabbers doing, um, and even some experienced rehabbers do is the making, making emotional decisions when they should be making business decisions. You know, so many people, when they first start rehabbing, go into a new house and they say, you know, I want to put in the the highest dollar items. I want to. I want to do granite all over the place, and you know, I'm exaggerating with 24 karat, you know, crown gold crown molding, and you know, basically over the top. You know, everybody wants to go in and put HGTV into their rehab home. Now, uh, I understand where they're coming from, but here's the thing: it's not about you as a rehabber. It is not about you. 
it's not even necessarily about the buyer. What it's about is the local market that you're in, what the comparable sales dictate, and what your budget is. That's what it's about, you know. Uh, so just never, ever, ever, and I just cringe and nails on the chalkboard and it drives me nuts and it's a total pet peeve when I hear a student go into a house and they say, well, I was picturing, you know, in this bedroom, putting this little nook over here in the corner because the buyer's going to have a little baby and this is going to be a great place to change your diaper and blah, blah, blah. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You are spending a ton of money trying to build a custom home for somebody you don't even know or, you know, this could be a single person buying this house who never has any intention of getting married or having children or anything, you don't know that and you're already spending a ton of your money because you're being emotional about this house. You need to make a business decision that says leave this thing as, as plain as possible because, you you know, if, if that's what the comps dictate, now if the comps are fancy, then obviously you're going to have to build it out to, you know, get it coming back to knowing your marketplace, but I can't stand it when my students or anybody else goes into these properties and they, they try to apply what they would want for themselves and their family into an investment home. Well, that's really good. Really it good. Drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. <laughs> Give us uh, another couple of mistakes that you see investors make, Steve. Um, one big mistake that we had on a property um, uh, that, was, uh, that was on a septic system uh, we did. We didn't get the septic check before we bought the house, and after we had fully rehabbed the house, and we were at about at budget, uh, we turned around and we we got a buyer on the hook. We were about to sell the property. They went and they did their septic inspection. The uh, septic inspector took, you know, he dug dug up the septic system, took the cap off the septic system, and said, "Hey, we got a metal tank in the ground." Well, metal tank were installed back in the day, and they are an absolute no-no because metal erodes over time, and essentially what you've got is uh, an infloating tank waiting to happen for somebody to walk over top of it or drive a tractor or whatever over top of the septic tank, and then the ground would essentially cave into the hole that's now on the ground, and you fall into all that good stuff that's in the ground there. So uh, it's automatic failure when, uh, when the metal tank is detected, so it needs to be replaced with a brand new concrete tank. Well, it just so happened that that particular property was in the Maryland critical area, which in Maryland means it's the pro- any part of the property is within 1,000 feet of the shoreline in Maryland. And here in Maryland, we have the Chesapeake Bay, which, you know, the health of which is not that great and all that sort of thing. So uh, they're always trying to do what they can. The local governments here are trying to do what they can to improve the health of the Chesapeake Bay Um uh, because it's the nation's largest estuary and all that stuff. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, we have very stringent rules and regulations that go along with any property that's located within the critical area. So one of the big things that, the, that they're saying is a pollutant into the bay is old septic system. So what you have to do is not only install a brand new septic system, because we had to do that anyway because of the metal tank, but now we had to install what they call the BAT technology, which is the best available technology, which for, in, in the critical area here, is a nitrogen removal system. Oh, and smokes. it's much more expensive. It's, it's not just a conventional septic system. So we had to go through that. Now, here what they're saving great is that the state had given the county some money to do these grants for these, to upgrade these systems. We were able to apply for and get the grant. We were able to have a $13,000 
uh, septic system paid for it full. We did have to cut a couple new grain fields, which I think cost us 2500 bucks. But basically, we got out of the thing for about 2500 bucks when it could have it could have put us over budget by you know, 15 grand or so. So uh, our big mistake there and the big lesson learned is when you buy a, a property that's on a septic system, you need to get it inspected or at the very least go to the health department of that county and have a conversation with them to find out what paperwork they have on what is in the ground of that house. And if it's something that's a metal tank, then you would obviously use that as a negotiating tool to get a better price on the property. Well, the, the main principle is to always get a professional inspection done on a property, right? Yeah, and we don't do inspections. You know, it's part of our hook is, look, we're not doing inspections uh, on the house itself. So don't, don't misunderstand me. You know, if, if you know your inventory and you know the repairs that are common to those homes, then we don't get home inspections because an inspector's going to come in and say, yeah, this house needs to be rehabbed. Well, thank you very much. We're going to do that anyway, <laughs> you know. And, you know, here's here's three hundred dollars for telling me that the thing needs to be rehabbed. You know, right? But right. Uh, but but for a septic system, uh, you know, you, you might you might put that in your contract if you'd at least like the option of of having an out uh, and contingency to have it inspected if you feel that that's going to be a problem for you. It would be a horrible thing for a brand new rehabber to get faulted if they didn't have any knowledge of septic systems and what they would cost to replace and and you know what the potential is on them. Yeah, but you know, an inspection. I mean, in my market, we don't have many septic tanks, but an mm-hmm. inspector is going to be able to tell you things that you may not see in your walkthrough. They're going to look for termites. Yeah. They're going to look for radon. They're going to look for foundation problems and cracks, um, water issues, which are really important. Um, so mm-hmm. it's 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 always good. I think it's going to be, especially if you're a beginning investor, it's yeah. going to be worth that three hundred dollars to get their inspection. But just be prepared. They're going to tell you everything that's wrong. Which right. which could help you um, when you are negotiating with that seller, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I, I always have kind of learned, you know, you you just don't do an inspection on a on a rehab house. But that's a good point because I'm looking at this from the standpoint of I know how to identify all those items you just brought up. And somebody starting out that doesn't have the guidance of a mentor and is out there kind of trying to make this thing happen on their own, uh, they're really their limitation is their lack of knowledge. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. That's, a, that's $300 well spent in that case. Okay, so I'm sure you got one more mistake that you see a lot of investors, beginning investors make. Um, I, I would say, you know, on the sales side of things, a big mistake is to way overprice your property. You know, you fell in love with this property throughout the course of the past, you know, three to six months or however long you've had the property. And... You know, you've you've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. This is your first project or one of your first few projects, and uh, and now, you know, perhaps you went over budget a little bit. You know, you had arguments with contractors. You, you had to fire some people. You know, you, you it just you put a lot of effort into it. And now, you look at the comps and you say, you know what? But man, I just worked so hard on this, and mine is so much better than all those. And, 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 you know, so there's a tendency to put the science of what the market is asking for aside and say, and be emotional about it again and say, you know, my property deserves another $15,000 because it's just that much better and I've put all this hard work into it and there's, there's no way I'm taking, you know, I'm taking what the market's dictating this time and, and becoming emotional about this selling of that property and the pricing of that property, um, you know. Now, that being said, always listen to your realtors, always listen to your mentors. 
And if the market happens to be hot at the time, by all means, price it a little bit high, see if you can get it. Um, you know, and then, and then if it, and then also, I also have another theory and, you know, to price it lower than, than where it should be and create a bidding war, but that's probably another strategy for another time, Joe. Oh, yeah. So, well, so, you know, don't, don't overprice the property just because you feel that it, it needs to be, uh, be because you, you put so much work into it. You know, price it, price it where it needs to be priced and move it, get on to the next one. Very good advice. Finally, Steve, uh, where do, I keep on saying finally one more question. But uh, where, where do you see the market heading right now? What have you been seeing the last few months, and where do you see it going the next 12 months, in your opinion? Man, I tell you what, right now, in this market that we're in right now, it is absolutely crazy. Everybody's going bonkers for property right now. It is. This is almost like, like it was in the boom time. Uh, I'll give you an example. A very good friend of mine who's, who's a, a local rehabber here just put uh, one of his rehabs on the market um, a week ago. In the past week, he had 16 showings, and he got a full-price offer in the past week. Now, that's pretty wild. Uh, normally, here in Southern Maryland, uh, you know, keep in mind, we're here right with D.C. and Baltimore and all the government and the government contracting and all that. We've been largely insulated through this whole housing downturn. That isn't to say that we haven't had foreclosures, because, in fact, we've, we've had plenty of them. Um, but, uh, but our economy has remained strong here. So having a showing... Like, let's, let's say you had a property in a film market for 30 days. Having a showing every single day or, or at least 30 showings within a 30-day period, they don't have to all be on every single consecutive day. But 30, you know, the number of showings correspond with the number of days on the market. That's not unreasonable, and it has not been unreasonable for us. But to have 16 showings in the past seven days, that's pretty strong. That's more than two a day. So, um Things are just going crazy. Um, you know, my wife was showing me, a friend of hers uh, put on Facebook last night, oh, we just put our house on the market, and it's been crazy. Over the past two days, we've had seven showings and two offers. That's ridiculous. And that's, wow. on, that's on a non-rehab property. That's a private seller, private seller transaction. Things are crazy. And as far as on the acquisition side right now, things are, are just as crazy, if not more. Uh, I helped a student analyze the market just up the road from me a little bit. Uh, just the other day, we looked at three properties in this neighborhood that he's interested in, and the past three cash sales within the last month all sold for $20,000 or more over this price. I have a student here locally who just put a, uh, an offer in on a property last week, came out on the market for 110 It was a deal all day long at 110 We went the first day on the market. There was already three or four realtors business cards in the property, and we were there the first day on the market that afternoon. They had already been in there that morning. All the realtors I know, they're all players, and they all represent uh, big-time investors. We ended up offering... uh, we ended up offering $25,000 over list price on that property, and we still don't know if we got it. Wow. So and things are hot right now. Uh, I kind of feel like there, there aren't, like we alluded to earlier, the underlying market fundamentals that dictate that this can last forever, but people are going just bonkers for real estate right now. I, I really uh, am excited. I've got a student who actually put a, a, a nice water view property on the market today. And then I've got another student who's putting a property on the market on next Tuesday. So I'm excited because I know that we're going to have a ton of showings and we're going to get uh, what we're asking, if not more. And I'll also, I'll, I'll close with this, Joe. The past three retail properties we have put on the market here 
in the past month, month and a half time frame, we've gotten above list price for because it's been multiple offers and we go back and quickly submit price and death. That's so excellent. It's hot right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's hot right now. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear you're doing so well, Steve. Um, I'll see you in St. Louis in a well, a couple months, I think, right? Where our next mastermind yep. is yep. in St. Louis. Yep, I'll see you there. I'll be there. It'll be good. It'll be good. Well, I'm I'm sure a ton of people have found this really, really uh, helpful and exciting because hearing you're the success that you're having, Steve, gets me excited about rehabs again. I I have uh, not been a, a fan of rehabs because the uh, when I started rehabbing, it was right when the market collapsed, and okay. uh, I got burnt real bad on a couple deals. Personally, yeah, yeah. So I've been wholesaling ever since, but um, I'm really thinking seriously. I need to get back into the wholesaling game ASAP, and because uh, you know who knows how long this little bubble that we have right now will last. Um, but there is so much opportunity. I'm seeing it right now in St. Louis and in California, my two markets. Just a ton of opportunity, and it's, you know, in in California where I'm at right now, if you go look for comps. I like looking for sold comps and active comps, right, to see what properties yep. are currently selling for. I can't yep. find any actives. They're all pendings. It's yep. absolutely insane. Um, sure. and I think a lot of that has to do with the inventory is so low right now. Um, the demand is coming up, but there's still a ton of people underwater that can't sell their house. They'd like to, but they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, I, I think the market's rebounding, and um, there's a lot of good opportunities. So, Steve... How can uh, how can people get a hold of you? Um, you have a RIA group, don't you, that you run? I do, I do. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to give everybody the website for that. I run the Southern Maryland Real Estate Investors Group. Now, if you go into Google and you type in Southern Maryland Real Estate Investors Group, we're going to be one of the first links right there. Um, but I can give you the, um, the RIA group's website, which is S-O-M-D, as in Southern Maryland, S-O-M-D, R E I G as in real estate investors group. So that's S O N D R E I G dot com. And Southern Maryland Real Estate Investors Group. Uh, you can go on there. You can get on my mailing list. I don't sell my list. I don't spam you. I don't send a ton of emails every single day. I do send out monthly reminders about our meeting. And I realize this is a nationwide call. Uh, but um, if, if, if we can connect through my RIA group, uh, you'll find out about the boot camps that I do yearly. And, um, you know, you, you, you can be a part of those if you'd like to and, uh, and anything else that I put out there. So I'd appreciate it um, if you go to the REIG website, and that's S-O-N-D-R-E-I-G.com. Now, Steve, you like to play a little guitar. Uh, I do. <laughs> do you have I a, do. Do you have a website that I've, I don't know much about this because um, I haven't talked to you about it before, but um, do you, are you working on a little project right now or would you rather not talk about it? No, no, no. I, I, I'll talk about it. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't realize I was going to get an opportunity to plug this. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. Come on. Please do. Uh, like, as, I, as I spoke briefly about earlier, um, you know, one of my main passions in life is music. I, I love to listen to music. I love to play music. And, um, you know, one of the things that really has focused on me is, is improvisation. I love improvisation, and I love improvisation in a group setting. Um, you know, you, you can you can say jazz, you can say jam music, you know, whatever. You, whatever. I particularly like uh, rock, jazz, and funk. You know, those are kind of my genres. And I really like jamming with other musicians who are, are familiar within those genres, you know. 
sitting sitting down and playing songs doesn't speak to me so much as really just getting out there and improvising and uh, and and throwing notes back and forth. That you know, playing by ear with one another is is what really gets me off. That's great. So many many years ago, Joe, I came up with this idea that um, that I could teach people essentially how to uh, how to how to learn how to do that with one another. And it's almost it's a bit like teaching instinct. It, it's pretty profound. So anyway, I sat down, I really thought about it, and I came up with a number of exercises and, and concepts that speak to musicians learning how to uh, interact with one another musically and, and, ha- and have a musical conversation within a group setting. It's a beautiful thing when it comes together. It's, uh, it's, oh, yeah. It, 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 to, to me, it's just, you know, that, that's it. You know, that, that's my thing. So uh, anyway, so I came up with this idea that I was going to have a film crew follow me around for for a couple of years, and I, I, I taught class at the local college, and I've done some lecturing on, on my, my, uh, my method, and I call it the art of jamming. And we put it together in a movie, and you can actually go to artofjamming.com, that's A-R-T-O-F-J-A-M-M-I-N-G, artofjamming.com, and you can download the movie there. Wow. So, uh, so take a look at it. It's pretty cool. I have never heard you play, Steve. You got to bring your guitar with you um, when you're in St. Louis. Sure, man. Sure. Um, can, Sean yeah, has I'd, a. I'd love to, I'm uh, sure Sean has a studio that we could go in and meet somewhere. That's right. Yes, he does. Yep. <laughs> that would that would be great. That'd be great. Sean and I have played a multiple times, and Sean's a great player too. Uh, awesome. It, it's just it's so much fun to sit down and and, and play with other folks, and you know, just uh, I enjoy it. Uh, thank well, you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. Well, I'd love to play with you too. I, I'd play a little bit of acoustic guitar. Um, if, I just need to, I just need to know the chords, right? I'll play rhythm. I'll play okay. background. Just play chords, and as long as they're like the same three chords over and over again, I'll be good. Okay, I'll All be right. good. But anyway, it's been great talking to you, Steve, and um, I sure I sure appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And we could have talked for many hours more about rehabbing, yep. and this is something I think a lot of investors need to take seriously now. If you have been wholesaling, we have a lot of people that do wholesale deals on this show that listen to this show, and uh, I think it's time to start setting aside some of those profits and looking to buy some rehab properties and, yeah. uh, and, and start, you know, you, you can cherry-pick the good deals, you know, and yep. uh, keep them for yourself. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I'll put those websites on the show notes at realestateinvestingmastery.com. Guys, thank you. go there and uh, get some more information. Thanks again, Steve. We'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, Joe. Take care. See you guys. Bye-bye. Okay.